Hi, I'm Theo Hamblin, member of Blackout Theatre Company, and along with Sullivan, producer and director on Malady, we'd like to thank you for making it all the way to the end of this series. The live episode you're about to listen to has been meticulous and rewarding work, but it would not be possible without the help of generous donations. If you would like to support Blackout, find us on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. <laughs> Hi, this is the malady. The mm. hey. Hi, it's Malady. This is Malady. Um, hi. Uh, hey. It's been almost six weeks since the last time I saw Gilbert. Almost three since I sent out my last message, my plea. I didn't tell him exactly where to meet me, but I knew he knew. Here, Aunt Maggie's library. The place where we spent so many hours of our childhood. The place where Aunt Maggie did basically what I'm doing now, researching the family. At first, I would check in every day, at least once. Then my visits increased. There's still electricity, plenty of beds, a kitchen. So now I basically live here. It's so familiar, but I've never seen it like this. Empty and covered in dust. These halls were always filled with people. Counselors, teachers, young women, even babies. Now it seems that it's only echoes and ghosts. It's strange, now that there aren't any books in the library, I can see the hidden trap door people told me about. A shelf that moves out into a hidden room, apparently where Aunt Maggie kept her most dangerous books. Hello? Well, it's not the first time that I've heard something. Okay, I don't want any of you to think that this is all I have been doing. I have been working still, trying to figure out the rest of the story. I'm 12 years older than Gretchen, so I really wasn't there when she was growing up. Cerise, Gretchen's older sister. Uh, you know Sullivan, she's always been a little fiery. I wouldn't call her fiery. Oh yeah? What would you call her? I don't know. Spunky? Yeah, well, I remember how she would always boss you and Gilbert around. She wasn't an easy kid, that's for sure. Of course, I wasn't easy either. My poor mom and dad, mostly my mom. Well, do you remember anything about the fire or the days before? Well, Gretchen wouldn't say anything about it to me, but it was probably some sort of protest against those credit card companies, though. You know how she always hated, like, the capitalist system or whatever. I know mom doesn't like talking about it, and dad doesn't really like talking about anything. You know this family, it's always secrets, secrets, secrets. So anyway, I don't think any of that helps, so here's what I know. Gretchen wasn't exactly in trouble, but she had a bit of an attitude. You, you know, our parents were always older when she was growing up, so her energy was sometimes a bit much for them. Like, mom seemed convinced that Aunt Maggie had gone to Gretchen, had gone Gretchen paranoid, and like, she didn't have the patience for what she said was Aunt Maggie's theatrics. So after Gretchen became fixated on the idea that she was going to do something terrible on March 18th, there was no talking her down as March came around. Well, so they tried. Oh, yeah, counseling and interventions of sorts. They didn't know what to do, so our parents decided to send her to me. And, like, she stayed in Washington with me for a week, and for the most part, she seemed pretty normal for Gretchen, though sometimes I swear I caught her talking to someone when she was alone. And when I asked her about it, she denied it. But you know Gretchen, she was always great at building it all up. And if you ask me, that's what led to the fire. When I sent her back, though, a few days before the fire, I remember making a joke about all the monks traveling. Wait, the monks? Yeah, that's what I said. I asked her what she meant, and she said the people in the black cloaks. I didn't know anyone like that at the airport, though. Cerise remembered something that Gretchen didn't. Hooded figures. This is not the first mention of hooded figures. People wearing cloaks. 
Everyone I interviewed from Aunt Maggie's funeral mentioned people, people in hoods. Could they be connected to the ones that Gretchen saw? Two days later, she snuck out of our parents' house late at night and she lit the fire. Yeah. She stowed away some materials to make it happen, like gas and whatever. Clearly it was premeditated. That's why I'm not entirely convinced she was crazy. Plus, the attorney said she was of sound mind. The building she burned down wasn't empty, though. She says she didn't know anyone was inside, and I believe her. Though she may have been an anarchist, you know, that's what my dad used to say, she isn't a murderer. Not on purpose, anyway. After Cerise, I interviewed my mother, Sybil Bakshi. She used to be Sybil Forrester. I seem to forget that this curse affects more than just the Foresters. It also touches those, of us, those around us. When I was 19 years old, I had a dream that I had two sons and both would live just long enough to be grown men who die painful deaths. One while fighting a forest fire and one by getting struck by a bolt of lightning. But maybe, maybe painful is the wrong word for getting struck by lightning. But no matter, one died quickly and unaware from a freak bolt of lightning. I don't even remember my dreams usually, but this one was different because this one was about destiny. It was something I knew for sure would come true. Wait, come true? Do I have brothers that I don't know anything about? No, uh, wait, Sully. Let me go back. Let me start again, okay? When I was 19 years old, I got knocked up by a famous forester. Dad's famous? No, but the family is. You see, at, at least at that time, nothing big happened in Albuquerque without one of your great aunts or uncles being involved. Oh. Good or bad. Okay. That night, I found out I was pregnant. That's when the dream started. I had been seeing this boy, your father, and I couldn't decide if it was better to start my life by going to college or by getting married. And the boy was having no such dilemma. He still had two years of high school left. Wait, what? This, sti this still isn't going well, okay? Let me, let me start again. Let me, uh, let's see. Uh, Doug was a different, no, your father was a different, Sully, this still sucks. Hold on. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with the dream. Start wherever you like. Whatever feels right. You were saying that you were having dreams. Yes. Yes, dreams. Okay? Such horrible dreams, Sullivan. It was like I was having them every night, too. There were two boys in my dreams, and I just knew I was having twins, and both were going to die within my lifetime. Nobody else knew I was going to be having babies. Uh, well, but that's not true, because Berta knew, my friend Berta. And she said I was probably letting Betty Frieden down, and, but that I was probably still a good person. And I was like, hey, if Betty Frieden can't help me get my hands on some birth control, I don't want to hear about it, okay? And then so I went and I bought a ladies' home journal, but I didn't have any money for it, so I made Berta pay for it for me. This is the way my mom talks. I used to say that talking to her was like trying to read Tolstoy while riding a roller coaster. Mom, the dream. Yes, okay, the dream. In the dream, I was with both my boys when they died. I was walking through this forest with a kind of panic and the ground was so hot. It was melting under my feet and I couldn't hear anything because the fire was so hot, but I could see my son in his big heavy coat and his shovel and he just dug away a trench to stop the fire from going any further. And I kept running to him to save him as the flames came closer, but he just ignored me and kept digging. And then my feet got stuck in this bubbling quicksand, and the boy kept digging away, completely unaware that he was being devoured by the flames. In the second dream, uh, I had forgotten all about the one son, and then I was with the other son on this busy street, and he was dressed all nice in like a suit, like for an interview, and he was all smiles, and I was all smiles, and we were all happy like this boy's brother hadn't just cooked to death. And the one twin, he was handing me a box of chocolates, like to thank me for getting him ready for the interview, but also kind of just like for his life in general, you know? Then he looks up, because... No, uh, the rain starts pouring on him and he thinks it's all funny because nobody else is getting uh, rained on. And then this clap. And the electricity just killed him dead. I was so afraid, Sullivan. I knew for sure it was going to happen. Do you think it affected your marriage? Oh my, yes, of course it did. Your father and I were only married for seven years. 
It's a lot easier being friends with him when he's not my husband, which I've always known is why we even like being in each other's company now. I told him about the dream only a year ago, maybe. As close as we are now, I don't kid myself that your father has much imagination, which is probably why he was so confused by the dream. He thought it was funny that we didn't have boys and we didn't have twins, that we had you. Well, why do you think this dream is important? Well, because, Sullivan, because of this mythology that all of you hold on to, every last one of you. Growing up, I knew the foresters from stories, and there were always dead people in the stories, and if there weren't dead people, there were crazy people. So many dead mm -hmm. people. Yes, but that's not just it. It wasn't until I married into the family that I heard stories about destiny. I don't know, dreams were never important to me until I began to think in terms of destiny. Every one of you foresters is obsessed with destiny, death and destiny. Like, you don't have a choice. Just being around you, I thought for, my dream had to come true. It had to happen. It was my destiny, I thought. But we didn't have boys, and we didn't have twins. I had a beautiful, intelligent, curious, obsessed little girl. Mom. That's you. I know. Oh, we don't have to listen to the rest. I didn't have the heart to tell her her dream. Well, in my research, I had found the story of my great-great-great-grandmother, Tara. Like my mother, she was a forester by marriage. She and her husband, Lennox, had four children. Two of the boys, Arden and Hawthorne, were twins. It was difficult to find the old newspaper clippings from years ago, but Tara Forrester saw both of those sons die, one by fire, and the other by lightning strike. I know it's weird to say, she's not even blood, but neither was Tara. And, well, I don't think that I believe in coincidence anymore, especially since both Arden and Hawthorne have numbers next to their names in the family tree. Next, I would like to listen to the recording of my father, Douglas Forrester. You may remember from episode four of Malady that I had him look at the book. Well, after a bit of prodding from both me and my mom, I finally got my dad to record more. Sullivan, I wish you'd drop this business with the book. I know you can get fixated on these sorts of things and, well, I guess better a book than some other vice, huh? I wasn't, it wasn't an accident you showed me that page, yeah? Yeah, well... Showing me that book caught me a little off guard, all right? Of course, I saw Laren's name right away, and next to it, the number's 2-1. How could that be there? That's the day he died. No, wait, he died in January. I, I know, I know, Saul. It's, it's a date on his headstone, I know. We kind of kept it quiet from the family. Uh, most people don't know that that's the day he died. Um, so he died later than what we were told. Yeah. Look, it's difficult to say now. Uh, it's been so long. <laughs> okay, you see, he started acting strangely the previous fall, like 1989. Uh, I don't really have the full story now, and this sounds crazy. All I know is that somehow, Laren thought he was cursed to do something terrible. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how he came to this idea, but he was really scared. This sounded strange to my father, but after so long studying the family curse, it wasn't strange to me anymore. It sounded like so many other stories. I, I don't really know much about what was happening. Uh, when he first mentioned to me at Thanksgiving, I, I thought he was joking. I mean, Laren could take a joke pretty far, so I figured, well, you know, I don't know. I guess it's not that funny. In, anyway, I, I suppose he was becoming more and more preoccupied with the idea, and well... <laughs> I remember at Christmas, he, he asked me to watch out for Gil, particularly in February. That was strange. Then it was the new year, and he was gone. He took off. His car wasn't found. But we were told that he died in that car wreck. I, I know, Sullivan, I know. It, look, there was an accident, and, and Laren wasn't found. It, it, it turned out he was heading up to his cabin in the woods, and uh, he, he wanted to get away from Gilbert and Berta. He, he couldn't bear the thought of the curse getting to them, too. Of course, we didn't even know he had a cabin. Uh, he hadn't told anyone. 
It wasn't until he called me on February 1st, nearly a month later, that we knew he was even alive. Uh, the police thought he had died in the car accident when the car went off the bridge. He was fairly incoherent at that point. He was, he was talking about being cursed and the forest changing and shadow people coming after him. I mean, he had lost it. And there it was again. Not the same words. Shadow people, hooded figures, voices. Is this curse... I'm starting to wonder if this curse is just madness. Well, maybe it's ghosts or demons or, I don't know, these cloaked figures that follow us around, are they somehow the curse? I, I got him to calm down long enough to tell me where he was. When we, uh, me and Berta, we got to him, it was too late. The cabin had been burned to the ground and, well, he was inside. The investigators said he started the fire. We kept the secret from you, from Gil, because it just seemed kinder. Dealing with losing a parent that young is hard enough, but could you imagine telling little Gilbert that, that his father hadn't died in the accident after all? That we found him, he was alive, but, but then he took his own life? Oh, Berta was grieving and, and trying to keep things as, as stable as possible for Gilbert. We respected her wishes, of course. You have to realize, even though Laren was behaving a bit strangely beforehand, there weren't any real red flags. I mean, he was always a goofball, so it just seemed normal. We didn't realize he was serious. I mean, really? A curse? I wish I had realized. 2-1, though. How can that be in that book? We never told Aunt Maggie any of that. And there you have it. One more forester up in flames. We seem to have ourselves a real forester fire here. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I just feel like you were all thinking it. The last interview. This one is an odd one. In most scientific studies, along with the test subjects, you have the control subjects, who are the subjects who are not being treated with the drug or poison or whatever in order to see if the effects are actually from the experiment. In the story of the Forrester family curse, I feel like Ewan Hausman is that control subject. So I totally don't know how you found me. I didn't even know I was a Forrester until like two years ago, maybe. Two years? It was when that uh, John Cusack movie about the end of the world came out, and there was all the stuff about Mel Gibson and the Mayans, so like, two years ago. Yeah. Oh, I've been a forester for like two years now. How did you find out? The way it happened was, I was asking my folks if they could uh, help me out with purchasing some emergency rations, because you never, can never be too ready for the Mayan apocalypse. <laughs> it, it's not easy to get my parents to fork over some aid, so I tried to convince them uh, that I was responsible, and I showed them the back of my Jeep with my sleeping bag, and my tent for shelter, and ammo boxes full of astronaut food, and the spear I carved to fight off the people who are going to want my stuff, but also to fight off the zombies, which are obviously coming. And I also know for a fact that there are grizzlies in the Laguna Mountains, so a spear is a good idea, okay? But it's all packed, which is the point I was trying to make to them. And I keep a full tank so I can make it to the woods as soon as civilization succumbs to the hurricanes. But my mom wanted to know why the tent was an eight-person tent, so I told her, you never know who might become an ally and who might become your mate. I'm really prepared, mom. But I just needed that extra something, the little 12-gallon bucket of nutritional meal paste, which fills all my nutritional needs for at least four solid weeks. But then my dad looked really disappointed, and then he said, I'm Herb Hausman. Your mother is Natalie Hausman. Your whole life we have told you that you're Ewan Hausman, but you're 31 goddamn years old with two teenagers of your own, and you're ready at the drop of the hat to fight a zombie and bears, so I'm finally going to tell you that you're only barely a Hausman. Your real name is Ewan Forrester, and we adopted you. So, a forester without the family. A forester who couldn't know about the curse because he didn't know about the family. It, like, stung really bad. So I remember it really well. When I first talked to a forester, it was someone, Jacinia, I think? She lived in Santa Fe, which was a goddamn sign, brah. I said, I grew up in the rancho in California, which is really called Rancho Santa Fe. <laughs> She said she didn't think it was that interesting. But, but there are coincidences all over the place that I belong with the foresters. And Oh, damn. 
that John Cusack movie came out in 2012, so it's like probably more than two years now. Well, I don't want to say that I have like some holy mediation between me and my long-lost family, but it gets really creepy sometimes. Like, my best friend growing up was named Will, and then I find out there's this cousin named Gil. And when my kids were kids, I would turn on Monsters, Inc., and your name, Sullivan, is Sullivan. And the Santa Fe thing, and there are some other coincidences that I totally thought were amazing when I noticed them, but I can't remember them now. <laughs> but, like, how'd you find me, Sullivan? <laughs> well, I found you through your mother. I mean, your, your birth mother. She had received a letter from the Hausmans years ago. Oh. I only talked to my birth mother. Blood mother? Blood mother. Oh, once over the phone. She seemed like she didn't like me very much. I tried telling her that you always got to be ready for the world to end at any moment. A 12-gallon bucket of nutritional paste is one of the most cost-effective ways of getting all your daily calories and vitamins, but she didn't want to give me anything for it anyway, even like 10 bucks, which would really help. You seem pretty obsessed with the end of the world. I know. It was a little unfair to bring it up, like I was tainting the journalistic waters with leading questions, but I had to ask. Even though it, even though Ewan is a little kookier than most of the Forrester family, he seems to have the same obsession. I mean, I guess. It's like, I don't know, it's like when I close my eyes at night, I can see it. See what? The end of the world. Like the world up in flames, you know? And people aren't really people anymore. They're like twisted versions of uh, people with horns and stuff that hide themselves under huge hoods. What do you mean, hoods? I mean, like we're not even people anymore. We're like these beasts in druid robes. That's, that's the future we're going to. That's, that's where we're headed. And I mean, the world is ending. We all got to stock up, you know? <laughs> Dude, Sullivan, I don't know if you're close to my blood mother, but tell her I'm sorry I asked her for 10 bucks, okay? <laughs> it's still a good idea to stock up uh, for the Mayan 2012, even though it's not 2012 anymore. Okay. I didn't really hear that last part. My mind was too busy racing. There it was again, hooded figures, fire, and a forester in the middle of it all. And the thing was, this time, it wasn't by someone who had been inundated by these stories, these, these myths, the deaths, the tragedies, his whole life like every other forester. By all accounts, the Hausmen were normal people. The only abnormal part of their family was their weird adopted son. And so, oh, I hate to say this, it seemed to be in his blood. So here we are, June 30th. It's my date and I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm here alone, waiting for Gil, and I don't even know if he's going to show up. He hasn't been returning my calls the last couple of weeks, and the last time I saw him was here in the old library. He's in trouble. When I heard him say that he was the one to bring all end, it scared me. I know it means to bring all end to the world, even though he thinks it means end the curse. I'm scared about what he's planning. But I'll be here for him. Even though I'm scared, I know it's not him. It's the curse. I'm going to help him because that is what he would do for me. Hey, Sully. Gil! I didn't know that you would come, and I didn't expect you to bring that book. I was hoping not to. I, I thought I'd show up today telling you that it was all over, that I ended the curse. I saved you from doing something horrible. Sully, I, I tried to destroy the book. Gil! Thank goodness you didn't. You must not have listened to the last episode because Aunt Maggie said that if we tried to destroy the book that... No, I, I, I heard. Um, I just thought it was part of her obsession that she couldn't bear to think of the book being destroyed, so she told us that destroying the book would destroy the foresters. I didn't believe her. I still don't. Then why do you still have the book? I tried to destroy it. 
I, I tried everything I could think of. I tried ripping the pages out. When that didn't work, I tried soaking into the tub. I, I, I hoped that by getting it wet, I could rip the pages easier. But when I took it out, it wasn't even wet. And it's like the water couldn't even touch it. So I tried burning it, but fire wouldn't take. I ran it over. I, I even threw it out of the, my car on the freeway. Nothing worked. I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm glad that you didn't. I think that Maggie's right. But, well, this proves that there's some sort of ancient, I don't know, magic or... I, I, think, it's, I think it's because the book is yours. Mine? Aunt Maggie said we should never destroy the book. Why would she say that if the book is indestructible? The only thing I can think of is that no one can destroy it except the book's owner. Maggie gave you the book. I need you to give it to me. But you already have it. I did give it to you. No, you lent it to me. I need you to say, uh, here, Gilbert, th this book is yours now and forever, or something like that. No! Like, Gil, you know what might happen if you try to destroy that book. Why would you even want to risk it? Because the only other option is... Well, look, we don't know if Maggie was right. I mean, how would she know? I don't know. Maybe it's because she clearly knew a lot about the curse and spent her entire life studying it. But maybe she was wrong. Maybe it's the way to end the curse forever. But we don't know that, Gil. All we know is what Aunt Maggie told us. What do you want me to do? Dig up her body and ask her if she was just kidding or just trying to scare us? Come on, Sully. Don't, don't get upset. Don't get upset? The last time we talked, you were not very nice. And then you didn't call me for weeks when you, know what date, you knew what date was coming up. And then you tr tell me that you tried to destroy the book, putting our entire family at risk. And then you try to convince me to help you? I... What? I'm trying to help, Sully. I'm trying to make sure you don't do anything you'll regret or to ruin your life. You're cursed. You're bound to do something that you won't like. Something that may kill you inside, that may kill you outright. What do you want from me? I'm doing my best. Well, do it better. You said there was another option. Yeah. So? I have an idea, but you're not going to like it. I, I, don't, I certainly don't like it, but I don't see another way. Yeah? If destroying the book isn't an option, then I have no I other ideas for stopping the curse. But I think we can contain it. Oh, yeah? M maybe we could contain it for now and then work together and see how we could end it. Sure. I mean, oh, but yeah. how would we contain it? We don't really know what form it'll take next, right? Let's examine what we do know. What happened to Aunt Maggie with her curse? The home she was staying at went through some mass slaughter and she lost her baby. Okay, and what happened with Gretchen? She had a fire burning inside of her that she couldn't contain. It got so powerful she had to burn down a building and accidentally killed someone. And what happened with Grandpa? He convinced his father to go to the hotel where he ended up being killed in a terrible fire. What do they all have in common? A horrible mistake ends in tragedy. No, Grandpa sending his dad to Houston wasn't a mistake. And we don't really know what happened in Aunt Maggie's home. Yeah, well, then I guess someone dies? Exactly. Are you saying that the curse means someone always has to die? Yes. No. I, I refuse to believe that we're cursed for eternity to kill or be killed. That's too crazy. No, that's, that's monstrous. Yes, it is. So what are you saying? How do we contain it? How do we keep someone from being killed? We don't stop it. Gil, what are you saying? I'm saying...
We contain the curse by controlling who gets killed. Do you want to take a chance of some random person being killed? The fire in the hotel in Houston killed 55 people. The slaughter at the home killed dozens. Gretchen is lucky she only killed one. We have to control it. We, we have to contain it. It's the only way. But how, Gil? How do we control who dies? That means we have to pick someone. I can't do that. I can't decide who dies. You don't have to. I already have. Wait, what? You know who you want to die. Me. You? And you have to do it. No. No, that's not... I... No. Then you could give me the book and I can try and destroy it. But then you might die anyway. And then so might the entire family. That's an even worse option. Then I don't see how we get around it. The date is by your name. You have to be the one to do something. The way I see it, there, there are three options. One, you send me to do something which happens to kill me. This is unpredictable. It's hard to control. In the meantime, you could still accidentally kill someone else. Two, you get someone to kill me. This is also unpredictable. What if they go to the cops? What if they back out? There's too many what ifs. Three, you kill me yourself. We can set it up so we can hide all evidence and I can make it just seem like I disappeared. No one would be the wiser. Well, except for me. I'd know. I'd know that I killed you, the one person in my life who I feel like I could talk to about anything. The one person in my life who was always willing to explore and ask questions without telling me that I was crazy. I could never kill you. D don't kid yourself. I mean, we we're never that close. What? What do you mean? Come on. Do you really think I wanted to hang out with some nerdy girl when I was a kid? I only did it because I had to. You were always so bossy and mean. And our mistress was stupid, and I never had any fun. Gil. And now I'm only helping you because I feel bad for you. And you've never amounted to much, have you? You've always been a loser and stupid. And no one even likes you. Gil, I know what you're doing. And you're smelly, and you're ugly. I don't even know how you're a person. How do you function in your day-to-day -day life? And your taste in interior decorating is atrocious. Gil, stop. You can't even make me hate you. Much less hate you enough to kill you. I, I really think all that stuff and so much more. Gil, come on. <sighs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it was worth a shot. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean any of that stuff. It's actually kind of sweet. I mean, in a weird Forrester family kind of way. I don't know what I would have done with you without, without you and Aunt Maggie's all those summers. I always thought you were so cool with a mystery all the time. I mean, it really helped me be less afraid of everything. And you were always so brave. I looked up to you. Oh, Gil, are, are you kidding me? I couldn't have done any of that stuff without you. I mean, I loved adventures, but you were, well, you are so smart. You looked at things in a way that I never would have. You know how to put the puzzle pieces together and see the big picture. All those mysteries I found, you helped me solve them. You helped me realize that there was a reason for everything. I wouldn't be who I am today without you. Yeah, same here. But I don't see another way out of this, Sully. This is what we've built up to all these years. You found the adventure in the book. You found the mystery. And I put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, but you got them... You put them together wrong this time. When we solved mysteries, you weren't always right. I mean, sometimes I would have this feeling that you were wrong, that you had put the puzzle pieces together wrong, or we had missed a few. And that feeling, I have it right now. Sully, I've thought about this long and hard. 
do you think I like this plan? I don't. I'm terrified. I have been poring over Maggie's books, looking for a way to end or contain the curse. But I couldn't find anything. I don't want you to end up like Gretchen, or, or worse. I couldn't live with myself if that happened. So please trust me. It's the only way. I, I put my blood, my sweat, and my tears into finding another option. Blood? Yeah, right. You would have herfed. Not real blood. I mean, come on. It, it's just to say, I'm being serious here. I mean, besides, Aunt Maggie told us never to put blood in this book. Gil, th- that's it. She said that Forrester blood on the book would change things. That's what we need to do. We need to get blood on this book. She just said things would change. But she didn't, she didn't even seem to know how they would change. But isn't that what we need? A, a really big change. Oh, no. You, you want to initiate some random change? From a book that has the power to curse an entire family line? From a book that has been the cause of pain and sorrow for as long as our family has been a family? That doesn't seem like a very good idea. But we have no other choice. I think I offered another option. We have no other choice. I'm not killing you, Gil. It'll be simple. I mean, I planned it all out. You know Rube Goldberg machines? Those things where you do an action, triggers another action, triggers a series of action, and eventually something happens? Well, long story short, I set one up in Maggie's office. All you have to do is cut a rope. I stand in the right place, and the machine takes care of the rest. You set it in motion, but you don't actually have to do it. I even have this old knife I found in Maggie's collection. It, it looks ancient, but it's, it's still very sharp. I mean, it looks ceremonial. You could use it to cut the rope. And we, we gotta do it now while there's still time. Are you done? Yeah, I guess so. Good. So here's what we're actually going to do. You are going to give me that knife, and I'm going to cut my hand over the book. I'll drip blood on it, and we'll see what happens. Well, I would never be able to kill you, Gil. I, even if I could, the curse would still live on in our blood. So I kill you. So what? It might save a few lives now, but the rest of the Forrester family would still cause destruction and death for eternity. You wouldn't have to hurt anyone. Except you. Except the one person who is a willing participant. You wouldn't have to be a family pariah, go to jail, or live the rest of your life knowing you could have prevented killing other people. Yeah, but I wouldn't have you. And I wouldn't have you by my own hands. That would hurt me just as much as killing other people. I'm sorry, Gil, but I'm not changing my mind. We need to act like that option doesn't exist because it just doesn't. Okay, you win. I'll try, try to stop convincing you to murder me. Good. Now, let's get some blood on this book. I just have to officially register my objection. Uh, things will change. What will change? How? We don't know. You're worried about destroying the book? But what about this? Maybe the foresters will be no more after this. Maybe stamps will go back to 10 cents. Maybe the earth as we know it will rip apart and scatter across the universe. And maybe the curse will be lifted. That's an awfully big risk. Well, I don't think so. Everything to do with the curse has only been with our family. It's impacted others only as a result of our actions, not necessarily the curse itself. I think the evidence suggests that whatever happens, it happens only to the Forrester family. Okay, but... If the change doesn't work like you think, then we have to go back to one of the options I presented. I, (sighs) Gil, yeah, if the change doesn't work, then we'll talk about it. That doesn't sound too convincing. Well, then you'll just have to trust me. All right, trusted you my whole life. Why stop now? Then give me the knife. It's time to try and end this curse once and for all. I'll, I'll do it. I mean, who knows what will happen to the person whose blood is in the book? I was willing to die. Cutting my hand seems pretty blasé now. I don't know, Gil. Maggie gave me the book. What if it has to be the book's rightful owner? What if it doesn't work when you do it? 
I've seen nothing to suggest that's true. No, I'm going to do it. Give me the knife. No, I'm going to. Sully, no, Sully, let go of my hand. Let, I let go. Just give me the knife. No. I'm going to. Ow! Uh. It cut my hand. I'm bleeding. Oh wait, I'm bleeding. Oh, oh blood. Oh, I'm going to hurt. <laughs> Did anything happen? Do we still exist? I think so. Um, is the world still here? It appears to be. Wait, the book. One of the pages is glowing. Look, look. This page used to be blank, but, but words are being written in. It's so faint, I, I can't make it out. Gil, look. Can you hear that? Those birds? That, that weird hum? Wait, who is that? I, I don't hear anything. I, I don't see anyone. What's going on? Sully? Wait. The words, they're, they're getting bolder. I can, I can read them now. Willow Forrester, July 27th. Willow Forrester, July 27th. I have come to accept some stunning facts about my family. Grandma Astrid had always said we were from the old world. Not Europe, not what everyone else calls the old world but an old world. She said it was a land of magic, wonders, and terror. She said that our family was ripped from the old world and that it has caused some sort of rift in our blood. I always thought she was crazy or an old woman telling tales to scare children. However, after all these years, I now know what she meant. I have begun to feel something, some sort of obsession, a yearning, a feeling of fire flowing through my veins, but it's more than that. I have begun to hear whispers in the trees. At first I was worried I was losing my mind or having bouts of hysteria, but the longer it has gone on, the more I hear those whispers. They sound as if souls are twisting in the wind and more recently I have begun to have vivid dreams. Dreams that are not like dreams at all but as if I'm being pulled into another world where strange creatures speak to me. I now believe these are my kin from the old world in my dreams, they are crying out, trying to find a way back, a way to reunite our two worlds. They say they need every family's blood back in the old world. The separation is causing them great pain, and their bodies are breaking down, changing into something, something that no longer resembles a human. Demons are the only thing that comes to mind. But in those bodies, they are still human. And they are suffering. And so am I. They need our blood. They need our family to make it whole. They beg and plead for me to come, even though I know not how. Even if I did, I'm not quite certain I would go. The world is utterly frightful, and I have just found out I am with child. I do not believe it would be safe. I do hope these dreams subside. I hope they quit calling to me in the wind. This is not the life I want for me or my child. I do hope it ends soon. Or I know I, I will have to find a way to end it. Gil? Those people in the black cloaks, I think they're from the old world. 
I feel some sort of connection with them, some sort of bond, something I can't really explain. They're singing the family lullaby. What are you, what are you talking about? There's, there's no one else here. Well, can't you see them? They're just over there by those trees. Trees? Sully, come on, snap out of it. There are no trees. There are no people in black cloaks. Don't wait, lose it. wait. There's another verse, one I've never heard before. Sully, come on. We should go. No, Gil. They're telling me how to end the curse. We've... Our family has had it wrong this entire time. It's, it's not our actual blood that's on fire. It's our family, our, our lineage. We've been burning with the desire to make the old world whole again. I think that'll end the curse here. I think I have to be the one to go with them. What? No! Sully, you are definitely freaking me out now. Are, are you sure this is not a hallucination? Are you sure it's actually happening? No, no, I'm not. But, I mean, I hope it is. Otherwise, I'm really losing it. But I have to try and follow them. I mean, if it works, we'll all be free. The whole Forrester family line can be freed from the curse, the, the obsession, the hurt that we've brought to this world. We've been getting it wrong this whole time, Gil. It's not our actual blood that's fire. It's our family. We have been burning with a desire to be whole again, and I think I can make this happen. Sully, no. Did you ever think this, this is maybe what happened to the others? Maybe they saw hallucinations. Maybe they saw figures telling them to do something. Maybe they're going to lead you to do something terrible. No, I don't think so. I have this feeling that I've never had before. It's, it's like peace and calm. It's the opposite of what Gretchen told me. She said that she was consumed with a passion and a fire that she couldn't control. Sure. I'm, I'm going to follow you. you. You know, just in case. I'll be here if you need anything. Thank you, Gil. I mean, for everything. Even when I sounded crazy, you still stuck by me. For the most part, I mean, I did try and destroy the book. But you still believed in me. You still came here tonight to try and work it out. I never doubted that you had my back, that you would always be there for me. Thank you for walking with me as I go to, well, I guess I have no idea where I'm going. But um, tell everyone that I love them. Tell them that I'll miss them, but that I went away for them. I, I will, Sully. Well, Sully, Sully, do, do you feel that? Sully, what's going on? Sully? Sully, where did, where did you go? Sully! Sully! So, um, hi. Hey there. <laughs> Hello. This is Gilbert Forrester, and you're listening to Malady. At least, I hope you are, whoever you are and wherever you may be. I don't even know if this will reach anyone, but I wanted to record this for posterity, just in case. I've attached this final message to the last episode of Malady so you would know that it's really me. I was really there when it all happened. The only good thing to come of this is that I feel lighter, 
That's not it. Um, less burdened. Like, there was something I had to do my whole life, but I don't now. I'm not sure how to explain it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that this, this means the Forrester curse has been lifted. I mean, as far as what happened to the rest of the world, everyone is speculating. It was the Russians. It was terrorists. AI finally came, became sentient and decided to try and end it all. It wasn't any of that. It was... Well, if you haven't listened to the beginning of the recording, go back and listen. It won't help put the world back together, but at least you'll know. If someone is listening to this a thousand years from now, here's what happened after Sully disappeared. I passed out, and the last thing I remember was a blinding white light and a sound that I can only describe as the, the world being wrenched apart. When I woke, I immediately tried to call everyone in my family, but my phone didn't work. I tried to get online, but it couldn't connect. I drove home and tried to get online, but nothing. It seems that whatever Sully did, it caused a major disruption in communications. Technology still worked. I mean, I could use my phone to, to take pictures and use the calculator, but no one could talk to no one another. The only things that worked together had to be hardwired. Nothing could be transmitted. It was about a week later when the news started trickling in. News travels a lot slower than people are used to. That very night, June 30th, there were simultaneous earthquakes that hit around the world. Volcanoes erupted out of nowhere. Tornadoes, hurricanes popped up in places they had never been. The weird thing was, most of those disasters didn't hit major population areas. They hit roads, railroads, runways, pretty much anything people use to travel or communicate with one another. It went down. It's been about a month now, but it's weird. You would think in a moment like this, people would panic, but they didn't. Everyone seems to be waiting, including me. Wait, waiting for what? I don't know. Maybe we're waiting for the world to put itself back together. Maybe waiting for a new era to dawn. Or maybe just waiting, because they don't know what else to do. I'm not sure if this will reach anyone. I don't know if anyone will ever really believe me or find out the truth, but I have to try. We have to keep our story out there so that maybe one day the world will know. This is Gilbert Forrester. And for the final time, this is the Melody Podcast. is produced by me, Sully Forrester, and Blackout Theatre Company, an Albuquerque-based theatre, film, and now podcast company. For more information, go to blackouttheatre.com.